I want to address a subject that I have felt um, really impressed upon my heart recently, and that is conquering spiritual insecurity. Conquering spiritual insecurity. This has been born out of conversations with individual and things that are taking place in people's life that leave them feeling like, I don't know where I stand with God. How can I know? What, what is going on in my life? And how can I know that there's a security with God and my salvation? I'm going to ask that you would turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to read verses 11 through 14, and then spend the next few moments taking apart this passage so that we can have a firm understanding of the power of God to secure those who choose Him and the security of our relationship with Him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Now, Father, as we approach Your Word this morning, we quickly recognize that our ability to understand the depths of Your Word can only be opened by the anointing of Your Holy Spirit. You are the one that leads us and guides us into all truth. And as Your servant, I ask that I would be so attuned to You and to your heart that I would be able to clear, clearly and clarify the truth of your word so that today we might overcome and conquer the insecurity that has battled our spiritual lives for so long. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have any of you ever wondered or felt, how can God love me? Have any of you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and while you were staring at yourself thinking, Oh, Lord, I know who I am, but do you really know who I am? And if you do, how can you possibly extend salvation to me? Any of you ever felt that way besides me? When I was a little boy, my dad was pastoring a small church in Nebraska, and I remember going with him on a visit to uh, visit Mr. Robinson, who was an elderly man, well into his 90s, and he'd been a farmer most of his life, and I don't ever remember him missing church. I mean, he was just one of those faithful people that was always there, and as we went to Mr. Robinson's house, I remember he was in a place where he was in the final stages of his life, and as my father spoke to him, and he said, I'm going to pray for you. Is there anything that you specifically would like me to pray for? He said to him, would you please pray with me one more time the prayer of salvation because I just want to be sure. And I remember thinking to myself and having a conversation with my dad that it amazed me that there was an individual who have, after having been in a relationship with Christ for longer than I'd known him, perhaps most of his life, still when he was getting to the end there was this level of insecurity Am I really in Christ? Does Christ's love really overcome everything that I have done? Am I, is, is my salvation secure? And I have come to understand that he's not the only one that goes through this. 
That there are moments in our life when we battle this insecurity and especially when we're going through situations in our life that we might not fully understand and we're wondering, is God kicking me out of the family? Now, I grew up in a, in a situation where today we would look back at it and we would call it a very legalistic. In other words, righteousness and holiness looked like something. It was something you did. And if you blew it, God was waiting at the edge of heaven to just put his foot on your rear end and kick you out. And so we lived in this balance of trying to be holy, trying to do the right things, trying to look good on the outside, and yet this fear that I don't know how many sins is too many before the Lord says, that's it, I'm wiping your name out, and you're out of here. And so we had this image of God as a judge waiting to, to throw us out rather than to draw us in. Sometimes it's the circumstances of our life that bring us to that place. And we look in the New Testament, and in 2 Corinthians 11, 25 through 28, we, we see the life of Paul and some of the things that he went through. And here's what he wrote. Three times I've been beaten with rods. You don't think that any time when they were beating him with rods that he didn't think, Lord, what, what is, is everything okay between us? Once I was stoned, that's hit with rocks, by the way, some of you got it. <laughs> Three times I've been shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brethren. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You know, you would think that a man who faced danger so many different times might not be secure in wondering what God was doing within his life. And yet, he avoided not only a nervous breakdown, but was able to continue on because he began to understand his security in the Lord was not based on his outside circumstances. The stability and the power of Apostle Paul came from one great discovery. It is the desire for his people that God's people live and feel secure in his love and in his power, even if everything else in the world is uncertain. And that's what I want you today to feel as a child of God. There is in your bulletin an outline if you'd like to jot down some notes from these three points that I'd like to share with you briefly. The first point is this. God will threaten our security in everything but Him. God will threaten our security in everything but Him. One of the great obstacles to the enjoyment of our security is the apparent contradiction that we find in so many New Testament scriptures so just when we start to feel secure in his love just when we start to feel like okay I, I, I know who I am in him we read the Bible and we come across scriptures that seems to threaten that and to rob us of that security and I don't think that there will be any deep an abiding sense of the security in God until we look at these scriptures and put them in the context from which I believe that he intended us to have them. So I want to share eight verses today with you that perhaps you have read many times that have led you to a place of insecurity that I believe God wants to clarify for you. The first one's found in Romans chapter 11, verses 20 through 22. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. 
sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. Now, we look at that verse and I'm thinking, all right, that, that just doesn't really build itself to being secure. That sounds like he's just looking at me, waiting for me to fall, and as soon as I'm out. Let me read another one to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So if you think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, does that not just give you the image that Christianity is like standing on a rope that's waving in the wind, and you're just waiting for something to blow you off of it? What about the third one, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 2? By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So here's this image that unless you are with all the energy and strength you've got grabbing onto the promises of God, that if you let that go, you're out. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. How many of you are great test takers? How many of you are really bad test takers? Ooh. We'll just move on. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will receive a harvest if you don't give up. Philippians 2, 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, those words fear and trembling never necessarily bring me security and peace. Colossians 1, 22 and 23. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in the faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. And then the last one in Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So suddenly we're looking at this and we're thinking, okay, holiness depends on me. Does that not sound like a little bit? You know what? This whole holy life, it's all on me. I've got to live this out once Christ. Now let me clarify these for you. All of these passages teach that the genuineness for, Christian, for Christians is a perseverance in faith and a holiness of life. And they warn us that if you attempt to find security apart from his lasting faith and loving him with all of your heart, that you live in peril. But it would be a terrible misunderstanding if we thought for one minute that these scriptures were written to threaten our security in God. In fact, it is exactly opposite of the case. They are written to threaten our security in anything that we try to build up apart from God. Here's what I mean. The moment that we allow Christ to come into our life and we become a follower of Christ, we give his Holy Spirit permission to work within us and to convince us or convict us when we are living wrong. Now, for those of you that have lived with Christ for any length of time, you know what it's like when the Holy Spirit knocks on the door of your heart and says, I don't like the way you behaved right there. 
And that convincing or the convicting of the Holy Spirit is at work within us. Here's what happens oftentimes is that we as believers look at that and we sense that and we think God is displeased with us and so he's on the verge of kicking us out. We've looked at it wrong because the convincing power of the Lord is his security in us saying, I'm going to knock down anything in your life that you are building your security on that is not me. And so anything that you have done that causes me to worry that your security is leaving me, I'm going to come and try to knock it down with a chainsaw. I'm going to make your life insecure in all the things that you're trying to build security on if it's not of me. And so it's through his love and security that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is at work within our lives. It's not to disapprove of you. It's to bring you back to the idea that only security can be found in him. Do you understand what I'm trying to say there? If you find your security in health, the Bible is a threat to you. If you find your security in your marriage or your family or your job or your money or your education, then the Bible is going to be a threat to you. And in threatening all of these utterly inadequate foundations of security, the Bible drives us relentlessly and lovingly back to the only one who is eternally unshakable. And in that, we find our security, not because he's displeased with you, but because he wants you to find all of your security in him alone. So listen closely. You might want to write this down. All of the threats and the warnings of the Bible declare with one voice, sin is an effort to feel secure in anything but God. Sin is an effort to feel secure in anything but God. Therefore, when God demands on one hand, turn from your sinning or you will die, and on the other hand, feel secure in my love and you will live, he's not demanding two different things. Sin is what you do when you replace your security in God with something else. And he says, I'm not going to let you build your security on anything but me, so I will threaten them so that you can understand I am completely trustworthy in every area of your life. Secondly, God desires his people to live in relational security. In our text, we see one of the clearest statements that God's great desire for his people is that we would live and feel his love and power. And here's the way we see it. In verse 12, we see these words. We were destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. At the end of this, in verse 14, we see this, that he has guaranteed our inheritance for the praise of his glory. In other words, our lives, having been surrendered to the Lord, are to be lived in such a way that when people look at you, they give glory to your Father. We remove ourselves from being honored, and we remove ourselves from an arrogant stance and humbly sit back and say, everything that I am, everything that I have is due to the grace of the Lord. And so when you look at me, please see what God's work has accomplished in me because it's for the praise of his glory. The second thing that we see in this is the people whose inheritance God has guaranteed are people who believe the gospel. In verse 13 it says, having believed... You are marked. Now, this is going to shake some of you who thought that all I had to do was say the right words in a prayer and then I could live any way I wanted and I was going to be okay. There is a difference between acknowledging the existence of God 
and submitting yourselves as a follower of God. The scripture clearly says to us that for those who believe, in other words, we take the word of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we understand it and we apply it because when you believe something, you do it. That in those who believe, there comes to us the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. There's a direct connection between believing God's word and living for the praise of his glory. And one of the greatest ways to honor people is to trust them. And since God has committed to his own honor above everything else, therefore he is utterly committed to those who believe him and trust him. You can feel secure because you trust him. Therefore, the third thing that we see from this text is what you would expect. Since God does all things for the praise of his glory, and since believing his word magnifies his glory, therefore, God takes decisive steps. He's sure about this. To secure for himself the magnification of his glory because he seals you with his Holy Spirit. When you became a follower of Christ, and if you haven't today, I want you to know you're going to have that opportunity in just a few moments. When you say to him, I choose to believe that what you did for me on the cross paid a penalty for my sin that I could not pay for myself, and I'm going to receive you and believe you. In that moment, the Holy Spirit is placed within you as a deposit. Now, this is different than being baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit that is at work to bring you to salvation. And he indwells you. It's the deposit of God within you that is going to guarantee your inheritance. And that deposit is made within you and there is a seal that takes place within your life. And he is not about, listen to this, he is not about to let our eternal destiny depend on our ability to live holy or our initiative to do the right thing because we are not capable of it. So, for all of you who have thought in a very insecure way in your spirit that I have to live holy on my own. I have to do the right things. I've got to do this, and if I don't do this, or if I do it wrong, God's way just to say, you really blew that, you're out of here. It's completely misunderstanding the Scripture. He says, no, the way that you will be able to pursue holiness, the way that you will be able to, to pursue my love and security is because the Holy Spirit is within you that is motivating you toward things that you can't do on your own. So here's the good news. God didn't come in your life to leave you on your own because you can't do it on your own. It requires the motivation of the Holy Spirit having been deposited and sealed within your life at your salvation. Thirdly, God chooses, predestines, and seals his people. Now, some people really get hung up on the words God chose or God elected or God predestined, and in fact, Theologians in the church have been divided on this matter for a number of centuries. I would like to share with you what God's election doesn't mean and then more positively look at it as to what I am convinced that it does mean. The election or the predestination of God does not mean that God chose you and did not choose someone else. And that's what I believe theologians have gone astray and some of them saying is that God has chosen some for salvation and God has chosen some for damnation. I don't find that in the scripture. The Lord says he's not willing that any 
should perish. He died for all. And so election doesn't mean that there are some people that are born into this world that it doesn't matter what they do, they've been selected for damnation, and you are the lucky chosen few that get to be selected for a life with Christ. That's not what that means at all. Election also doesn't mean that God's free will will choose, God's free will to choose will violate your free will to decide. I love Revelation twenty two seventeen. What an invitational scripture it is. And I believe it is very easy to understand and very self-explanatory when it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take freely of the gift of the water of life. This is the invitation that God makes to everybody. The choice is yours, but the invitation is for all. I've chosen all of you. Chosen all of you. There's not some I love more and some I love less. D.L. Moody said this about election. The whosoever wills are the elect. The whosoever wants are the non-elect. In other words, it still comes down to your free choice. You see, here's the deal. The Lord voted for my salvation. Satan voted for my damnation. And I voted with the Lord, and we're in the majority. That's the way it comes down for all of us. So what does predestination or election mean on the positive side? Here's the way that Dr. George Wood put it. It means that the Lord has never varied in his feelings toward you or me. He is not as up and down in his relationship of feeling close to us as we are with him. Because we know there are some days I feel close to the Lord. There are other days I feel it may be distant. God has never had one of those days with you. There's never been a day where he thought, Ooh, I just don't feel as close to you today for some reason. There are not moments when God is not constant in his complete dedication to you. In fact, the Bible says, do you know that God chose you before the creation of the world? Let that sink in a minute. Now, we can only see our lives in a lifespan, but God, who was God before this was all created, before the galaxies, before all of the universe, he knew you were coming. He loved you before he ever made you. When you were still floating around in his creative mind, he loved you constantly and consistently. And that demonstrates his permanence and constancy of his love towards you. Now, there are two great words within this passage of Scripture, the word sealed and the word guarantee, that I want to just spend a couple of minutes on so that we thoroughly understand them. There are a number of different places in the New Testament where the word sealed is used, and let me just share them with you. In Matthew 27, 66, the tomb of Jesus was sealed, which meant they put guards around it. It was sealed with wax. And in Revelation 23, it says, God throws Satan into a pit and seals over it so that he can't escape. So one of the New Testament meanings of the word sealed is this. It's locking something up and closing it in. Locking something up and closing it in. The second meaning of seal in the New Testament is found in Romans 4.11 where Abraham's circumcision is called a sign or a seal of the righteousness he had in faith. In 1 Corinthians 9, 2, Paul says that his converts are a seal of his apostleship. So the second meaning is, is that of 
authenticating something, making it real. Now, in our board meetings, we have a seal, and everybody's got a copy of the minutes, but there's only one copy that gets the seal, which means it's the one that makes the official book, and it's the official seal. It's been sealed. It's, this is the authentic one of what is real. The third meaning is found in Revelation 7.3, where it says, The seal of God is put on the forehead of God's servants to protect them from the wrath that's coming upon the world. In other words, it is a sign of identification. God seals us, and he sees the seal because we belong to him. Oh, hallelujah. Would somebody say amen? So we are identified by this seal. So when Paul speaks in, in this first chapter of Ephesians about the seal of the Holy Spirit, you can look at any of these three variations of this and, and begin to understand that there's a spiritual significance. The first seal shuts. I want you to know something. When you became Christ, he sealed you into his protection. He sealed you into his provision. He surrounds you like a fiery fence that the enemy cannot pluck you out of. You've been sealed in him. There's a protection that we have because of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. The second one is the, the sign of authenticity. That is the sign. It's, it's the, the Spirit's work within our life is God's trademark. In other words, when we walk obediently to the Lord and do the things in His Word and we live with the fruit of the Spirit evident within our life, everybody around you steps back and recognizes, oh my goodness, you truly are authentically belonging to Jesus by the way that you act. There's a sign, a seal of authenticity that's placed upon us because our behavior so mimics our Savior. Or if the Spirit marks us as God's seal identifying us, then he protects us from evil forces which won't dare to enter a person when Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne of your life. There is some confusion as to whether or not somebody who has yielded their life to Christ can be demon-possessed. Let me tell you something. It is impossible for a child of God to be demon-possessed because God will not give up his throne to a weaker power as it relates to your life. You may come under attack from time to time, but greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world, and he's not giving up his seal to the enemy as it relates to your life. Cindy and I attended a wedding yesterday, and as we were there at the wedding, it had all the usual parts to it, except that the groom put the ring on the wrong finger, and then he corrected that. But There's always something at a wedding. The bride looked at him, and she goes, that's the wrong finger. There's this moment in time, and for those of you who are married, you, you recognize that you stand there. And if you've ever been through any of the counseling sessions in premarital counseling with me, I tell you, you are giving yourself away to somebody else. You will no longer belong to you. You will belong to them and they to you. It's, you are completely giving yourself away. And there's this moment when the vows are being spoken, and they are hand in hand, and the groom is looking into the eyes of his bride, and he begins to vow to her. It's a covenant. It's not a promise. It's a covenant I'm making with you. I covenant that I will love you, honor you, protect you, help grow you in all the gifts that God has given to you. I promise to provide an environment. And, and, and there's this covenant moment that takes place. And everybody is watching this. And then the bride takes him by the hand and says the same thing back and covenants with him that I'm, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to follow your lead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be everything that God wants me to be to support you and encourage you and help you in the good times and in the bad times. And we're really good at the good times, the bad times we have a little issue with. 
And then when all the vows are over and they've poured their sand of unity together or whatever else they do, there comes this moment near the end that is so significant when the minister hands a ring to the groom and the bride by faith puts her hand out saying, I'm willing to be sealed by you. And the groom takes that hand and as he slides the ring on her finger, he says, let this be a reminder to you from this day forward of the covenant we have made together today. And then the groom puts his hand forward in faith and the bride takes it and she slides the ring on saying, let this ring be a symbol to you from this day forward of the vows of covenant that I have made with you today because I no longer have the right to my own life, but I've given it to you. And you are now sealed. Now, I wear a ring that I did not put on myself. My wife put this ring on my finger and sealed me because I belong to her. She wears a ring today that symbolizes to every other guy that's looking at that beautiful woman, keep your hands off and look someplace else because she belongs to me. We own that relationship, and we don't have the right to do things with our lives or our bodies without permission of the other because we don't belong to ourselves. So it is with the Holy Spirit who seals us when we vow our life to Him in relationship. He says, I am going to seal you with the Holy Spirit. You belong to me. I belong to you and the whole world will know because of the sealing of the Holy Spirit that brings us into security. Now, I'm not saying that every day in marriage is a good day because some of them aren't, but it doesn't change the fact that we've been sealed. Every day walking with Christ might not be a good day, but it doesn't change the fact that the Holy Spirit sealed you and you belong to the Lord. And when he convicts you of the things you're doing wrong, it's not to make you feel like you're worthless and you should be out. It's to bring you back and chop down all the things that you've tried to build security on beside him. So here's the word from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. As if God is marrying his people and seals them, and he says, I will be their God. Did you notice that he said, I want to be possessed by you? I want you to know that I am your God. You can tell everybody, I am your God. I belong to you. I'm in covenant relationship with you because of what Jesus has done. I belong to you. And then he says this, but I also want the whole universe to know that you belong to me. And they shall be my people. Oh, hallelujah. There's a relationship having been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We belong to one another. And the security of that relationship is not something that can be easily ripped apart because of the way you feel. And then he uses this word to drive home the point that his Holy Spirit's sealing is a guarantee to us. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance. Should we live long enough to see the church raptured? I've often talked about it. It's, it's like the Holy Spirit comes over like this magnificent magnet. And all of us who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us because of our relationship, it'll instantly be activated and whoop, we're out of here. And all the other people that look just like us that have not been sealed in the Holy Spirit in relationship, it will pass right over with no effect. 
Because the Holy Spirit becomes our guarantee that there's something about our nature that is attractive and similar to that of God. And he draws us to himself by that sealing of the Holy Spirit that was placed within you in your salvation experience. Therefore, you will receive the inheritance and the praise and the glory of my grace forever. And I tell you, because I want you to feel secure in my love and power, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, having said that, let me make this clarifying point. If you resist the convincing power, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit enough, he simply will stop convicting you. You will have chosen by the decisions of your own life to wander away. So as long as you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you, you are in good shape, not because he hates you, but because he loves you and wants to draw you to himself. Stand with me, please. Paul was writing to the Ephesians at a time when Rome was governed by the world and in that sense adoptions were taking place all over and it had a special legal significance in that day. When you were adopted under Roman law, all the legal rights and the debts and identification of your old family were instantly gone and all of the legal rights and identification with the new family instantaneously became in full effect. It's the same way when we're adopted into God's family. You become an adopted person with an heir to the father's estate. All that he has belongs to us because we are joint heirs with Jesus. He's opened the door to the family for us. Wouldn't it be kind of neat if when people responded to Christ and joined his family that we might be able to have a little certificate kind of symbolizing what the Lord God would say and it might say something like this. I hereby declare that I have chosen and then you write your name in. With the resources of heaven and earth at my command, I promise to love you, protect you, provide for you, plan for you, hear you, claim you, correct you, and honor you as my son and daughter. Sign, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So that in those moments when you're feeling a little insecure as to how things are going between you and God, that you can run back to the adoption certificate and say, here it is, a legal document that he has chosen me and I've chosen him. And I am secure in this family relationship. I am secure in his love. I am secure in his power. And he will address me by knocking down every stanchion that I build up that would depend on anything but him. I'm going to ask that you close your eyes for a moment and just bow your heads. If you're here today and you've never been able to make a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I'd like to give you that opportunity today. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to ask that when nobody's looking around in a moment, that if you choose this, that you'll just lift your hand, and then I'm going to pray for you. And at the end of this service, there will be an opportunity for you to come forward and pray with someone and let them know about your decision. So if you're here today and God is dealing with your heart, would you just lift a hand and say, yes, I, I want to respond to the Lord. Yes, ma'am, I see that. So just look around. Are there others? You're ready to be a child of God today. You're ready to enter in. Yes, sir, I see that. Are there any others today? God's just knocking on the door of your heart. 
says, today's your day. I've got a different eternity plan for you. I've got a different life plan for you if you will just trust me. Is there anyone else today? Father, I pray for these two today, right now, and I ask that by your sovereignty and your grace that you would extend to them forgiveness for their sins. That you would set up residence within their life and that by their own decision today and with their own words they will ask forgiveness of their sins and become a follower of Jesus Christ today. And that as you sit upon the throne of their life you will navigate through them a way that their life will bring you glory and praise. In Jesus' name. Now let me ask the church How many of you go through bouts of insecurity in your relationship with the Lord? Many. I'll tell you why. It's because Satan, the enemy of your soul, is really good at whispering all the faults in your ears. He tells you all the reasons why you shouldn't be qualified to be in relationship with God. And do you know that we are influenced by what we hear? We're influenced by that. We begin to question ourselves as to, okay, I... Is this real? Does, has God turned his back on me? And, you know, I've, have my mistakes numbered to the point where I no longer am considered a child? And the enemy goes, yes, 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 you're out, you're out, you're out. And you begin to feel as if you need to withdraw. And the Holy Spirit's saying, oh, no, no, come back, come back, come back. And so one of the things that I'm going to ask as I pray for you is that the Lord would seal our ears to hear what only God says. Last week we prayed for our students and we asked that as they are learning that God would be a filter to them that only the things that are healthy and encouraging would get to their hearts and minds and those things which aren't would fall on the sides. And we're going to pray that for one another today as well. That the voice of the enemy would be silenced by the seal of the Holy Spirit and that we would hear only the voice of the Spirit encouraging and drawing so that we can be secure in our relationship with God. Heavenly Father, there were a number of people this morning that said, you know what, I've been battling this spiritual insecurity. I just, I, I feel like I don't know where I'm standing with God. And if I don't live good enough, that you're just ready to kick me out. And I come against that in the name of Jesus today. And I ask, Lord, that in the sealing process of the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to live in such a way that as we devour your word and as we pray, oh God, that we will become more and more attuned to hearing what you have to say and that we would become deaf to the enemy, deaf to the enemy so that we can't hear the discouraging things that he wants to tell us about ourselves. We already know those. But you have told us that you've forgiven us and those things have been cast as far as the east is from the west. So today may we stand secure in you, secure in your love, secure in your power, sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption when we receive our full inheritance. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask our worship, or our, our ministry team, our deacons, our pastoral staff, if they would prepare themselves to come to the front to minister to people. As we close this morning, if you're here this morning and you would like somebody to pray with you, if there's things going on in your life and you say, I just need somebody to have a contact point of faith with me, I want to encourage you to come. There will be people here to to join with you in faith to believe that God wants to do something great within your life. For the remainder of you, I ask that you live this week in the secure knowledge that what God has sealed, what God has sealed belongs to Him. You belong to the Lord. Let's live for His glory and His praise. 